Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. I have not found a better solution of where to record anymore in my increasingly empty apartment. And I, I'll be honest with you, now I'm right now, I'm coming to you from my couch. My cat is next to me snoring really loudly. I didn't actually know that cats could snore until I met this cat. <laughs> and this cat snores so loud. I'm recording this on my phone, which is a thing I have not done since like year one of the podcast. But here we are. Here we are in the throes of it. Um, for all of those reasons, I will keep this intro very short. My interview today with Eleanor is... One that just made me happy, gave me a gust of energy when we talked. Eleanor moved to Munich in 1998, and she was working in tech. And she's, of course, experienced a lot in these 25 years. She's got a lot of interesting anecdotes about web design and the experience of working in tech from the late 90s through till today. We talk about reaching your inflection point, about blooming where you're planted, about late blooming, so not only is her story really fun, we've got a lot of good angles and perspectives to get into. And the best of all, this episode was recorded when I still had a relatively normal setup for podcast recording. So the audio will not be as horrible as this intro. <laughs> With that said, enjoy the episode. My name is Eleanor Meyerhofer. I was born and raised in LA and I was living in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area before I moved to Munich in 1999, the day before Halloween. So I have been here just, I guess, about 23 years. Maybe a record for my show. I don't know if I've talked to someone who's been <laughs> over 20 years and especially in one spot. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> So you have this amazing blog post on your on your website about how you became an expat, how you ended up in Munich. And I honestly, I just want to start there because I had such a sure. thrill reading that post. It was so much fun and you have such a voice in your writing. And as a bonus, I read it, I mean, a couple weeks ago or maybe months ago at this point, and I have a horrible memory. So I genuinely will probably have forgotten all of the main points. Oh, great. So uh, let's rewind to sure. pre- clock sitting 2000 and everyone freaking out. Yeah. Okay. It's 1998 uh, yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> in San Francisco. And how yeah. does an October move to Munich happen? I went to Central America when I was still in design school. And that was the first time I had been outside of the state. And that I just got bit by the travel bug really hard. And I had kind of this moment where I realized this is a big world we probably, I assume we have one spin around it and I want to see as much of it as I can. After that, I came home. Any chance I got, I went to India. I had a chance to go to Cuba legally at that time. A friend of mine was making a documentary film and I had never been to Europe, but we got this roommate in our but there's no English word for it. So you live with a bunch of roommates in, a, in college <laughs> in one house. And this dude from Munich, he had an American mom, but he became one of our roommates. So of course we had all these people coming from Munich, sleeping on our sofa in San Francisco. Coincidentally, at the same time, 
one of my school friends, this guy named Axel, who was from Vienna, him and his girlfriend were our neighbors in San Francisco. So they're kind of was like this weird Munich, Austria vibe going on. That was also like when Web 1.0 just exploded and that San Francisco was the epicenter for that. So kind of overnight, if you had any, and I was studying graphic design, if you had any design background, you just kind of became a web designer because there was just jobs and money everywhere. And when I graduated school, I started working at just startups. And I still had this dream of wanting to travel, but I w- I'm a practical person. And so I was like, well, I'm just kind of starting my career. And I like Central America is not a place where I can go and live and like build up a graphic design career. And I think I say this in the post, like digital nomad, all, that was not yet a thing. It wasn't like you could just go somewhere and like, it was like dial up time. Right, right. This was the time of like, mom, get off the phone. I want to go on the internet, you know? So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so this friend Axel had moved back. So he happened to be living in Munich. And on my first trip to Europe, I visited him here with a friend of mine and we went down to Italy and I was telling him about this web design thing and how amazing it was. And he he had a major was packaging design. And I was explaining to him in a beer garden how it worked. And he said, you mean you just do it all in Photoshop and some nerd makes it work? <laughs> like, yeah, man, it is awesome. So he said, why don't you come here? And we'll just start a, a web design business. And I just needed like the littlest push. And I said, sure, I'll do it. And uh, because I just was like, I'll just put my parents stuff in a garage. And I was at the point, I think I was 27. Then I was like, I either do something like this now, or I'll get too settled and never. And like the worst that happens, I just go back home. I love how carefree that all feels. Like, and then you're sitting in this beer garden, it's like a business. And you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a total cockamamie scheme. And it was just this kind of in between time in life, 27, you're kind of just starting adulting, but you're not quite established. I mean, some people are at that point, but I was still dead end of this relationship. It was just kind of the every the right time in my life to do something like that. I got here, I decided I liked it. This whole scheme was ridiculous, by the way, because I could speak not a word of German. <laughs> Axel had like no contacts here. We set up a, an office, like a little design studio. And I think we had one wine label client. And We'd like surf the internet for a couple hours in the morning. Then we get coffee and that's like our work day. (laughs) (laughs) And at some point I was like, I'm going to run out of money. I either got to get a real job or I got to get, go home. I had this incredible luck at the Kafau Air, which is the immigration office where the lady, I'd say, well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of hanging out. I haven't really found a job. I went to Prague, you know, could I get some more time? And she just said, well, you either got to get married or get a real job or like an Arbeit's going to be going a work permit or something, a job, you know, something to this effect. And she just give me three more months, um, <laughs> which I, I don't know why. I don't know if the lady in the R office was nice or whatever, but that's how it, and that went on for about a year. 
I also love that this is happening in Munich because I feel like there's a little bit of this like laid back alternative approach in terms of like y'all are just hanging out drinking coffee and then showing up being like can I just stay longer like it's it's very unserious in a way that is not very Munich like I would think more like Cologne or like Berlin or something for this kind of scene um because in my mind your life's a movie by the way and <laughs> I wouldn't have put it in Only Munich in but mind. I love that it's happening there I love that you're just bringing a little like casual edge to it all <laughs> I think my experience is not the norm. I did end up giving getting a job at a little design agency and the guy, I, after a few months of this, I just wanted to, all right, it's going to be going. I decided I wanted to stay. The guy said it was a small design agency. He said, yeah, yeah, I can get your work permit, no problem. And then after a month of working, he came up to me with a wad of Deutschmarks. This was before Euros. And said, <laughs> yeah, uh, getting that work permit was a little harder than I thought. And I was like, oh, man, they're going to like, bust into my, I was living in an office, the old office, the design studio. They're going to bust in there and like ship me back to America in the middle of the night. So I ended up finding a job at a, a big agency and the recruiter was like from Boston and he said, yeah, how's your German? And I was like, eh, not great. <laughs> it was just like, ah, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. <laughs> and, uh, and I had the job like a week or two later and I gave him my passport and a couple of weeks later it came in with a shiny, all right, going to be going to get a work permit for like one year. At this point, after I'd been in the job for about six months, the bubble crashed. All my friends that were like, had all these stock options that were suddenly worth zero were unemployed. This is back in California. So I was actually like, oh, I have this job that for now is stable. So I will just chill out here a while. It was just, it was like working in a startup. I mean, it kind of was, it, the company wasn't a startup, but it had that vibe. So it was a really fun time and I was loving it. I was just loving living in Europe. And then after I had been there, I stayed there for 10 years. I'm like, when I was really burnt down on it, like right before I quit, I met my husband. So I had already decided I'm staying and we met and then and that's it. And what, when, when was that? What year? That was 2006. So you'd already had like a full era and then this kind of like yeah. blossomed in the next. Exactly. Exactly. So, And did you have any, any thoughts back then about coming, going, moving on to somewhere else? Yes. That was a very long process. It's difficult. I think having like unlimited options. So like I could do anything and it was very hard to decide. And at that point in my life, people hadn't settled down really with families or kids. And there was not, everybody's sort of scattered between San Francisco, LA and New York. There was no obvious place to go back to. That was the biggest, one of the biggest things. Like, where would I go? And I was sort of every week had a new idea. Like, then I really started thinking like, if I went back to San Francisco, my rent would triple. I would have 10 days vacation. If I went to freelance, I couldn't get health insurance. Like I, yeah. I really got social safety network thing is pretty great. <laughs> it's so hard once you've gotten used to that. I feel like especially, I mean, if I remember your age, right, you said you were 27 when you moved. So by the time yeah. this like shift was happening, you're somewhere in your maybe early mid thirties. Yeah. And I then was like, like 34. Yeah. So then you learn to be an adult with, with that support and like enjoying yeah. those benefits. And I, it's the same for me. I mean, this is like the phase of life that I'm in now. And when I look at moves and, and future planning, it's like, wait, but how does anyone ever like do anything without all of this support? It's so hard to imagine. 
And that only intensifies as you get older and have kids. That alone is just, it's just a non-starter. Well, there's, okay, so there's a couple of things I, I jotted down from our correspondence leading up to this episode that I want to bring into the conversation now, because one was the, um, this sort of phrase, false starts, dead ends, and course corrections. I feel like this, this like 1998 to what, 2006 era, this, I think now I know exactly maybe what that was pointing to. <laughs> Is that correct? Would you, would you classify that era with those, those terms? Well, sort of. A lot of that had to do with wanting to quit my job. And I really got burnt out at that job. I, like I said, I've been there 10 years and I wanted to freelance. And I, I just didn't know. There were some things about quitting the job that were hard. Like, where would I go? Would I go to an agency? But you're working just as hard and making half the money. That job was such a stabilizing thing. I just didn't know how. Like, I, I felt like in America, I could freelance, I could network, I could get clients. And I just felt like way more insecure about doing that here. Yeah. So, and also you have a gay and bay hot, like all of that was just this morass of German bureaucracy. I didn't want to deal with. Oh my God. It sounds so intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) And then for a while I thought, well, maybe somebody said, Oh no, you can start a limited in the UK and then run it out of there. And then I sort of thought, well, maybe I can, I can reconnect with some of my old U S clients. I just had all these kind of business ideas that a lot were weird and didn't make sense, but it was just because I just felt scared about taking the leap from the security of that job and not just the financial security, but the security of just living life in Germany. Right. Um, And trying to, and not, not needing to have to navigate the whole German system. The sort of cop-out in this story is that I met my German husband, whose brother-in-law is a Steuerberater. Oh, heck yeah. (laughs) That was his, like, giant dowry. So um, that helped me take the leap because he just did everything for me. So, But I just basically, the false starts and everything were sort of these ideas about how I could get out of this corporate job, have a decent income and like what kind of business again it's a whole different landscape now this is 2006 it was pre-social media but still and and we had broadband at that point but it still wasn't like it was now like you i remember i hacked together a blog like with html or something like (laughs) there just weren't options that you have now to like set up some kind of business structure so i was just trying to figure out like how can i get out of a corporate job but still have a life here. Right. So those were, that's kind of the false starts. Well, and then the next one I wanted to mention is blooming where you're planted. And I, I imagine this could be a much longer or is probably a much broader uh, theme in your life. But I, again, if you're looking at this like questioning moment of like, how do I get out of this? Do I stay here? Am I doing something out of the UK? Should I do something totally different? Like, and then you, you meet your husband and you, you end up staying and, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk more about like blooming where you're planted. Well, interestingly enough, I, my husband and I went at work and I had decided to stay before that happened. And I had been like single and dating for years before that. So I think it's kind of an interesting thing. Like once I just said, okay. And I had even, I even bought a little 28 square meter apartment. Like I said, I'm, I like committed to being here. Wow. And then we were on a project together and that, that was that. That's great, though, by the way, I have to say like that you had that knowledge worked out for yourself ahead of time. And then you didn't have to like 
go through this whole like, okay, what do I, how do I, how do I connect my decision about the place to this person? Yes. You know, it's like, no, we do not have, I'm very grateful for that as well. We do not have that dynamic of one of us wanting to be in a different place. Well, the, the one thing I had, I did settle on was this, um, my first business idea was to sell printables. And I came to that because I was like, okay, I think the old job, I was sitting in a meeting and I was back in the States, I think it was in Chicago. And we were working on an account for Target, which is a big chain and big store chain in the States. And it was their e-commerce platform. And one person was saying like, if it goes down for 10 minutes, they lose like, I don't know what it was like, $40 million or something insane. And I was like, when I quit this job, I'm opening an online store, <laughs> uh, not realizing like what was involved. And so I had this, I finally had this idea for printables. And one of my wacky business ideas before I had left for Germany was to start designing wedding invitations. And that hadn't really worked out. I did it with a friend, but we kind of didn't know what we were doing. And so then I had this idea, and again, this is 2006, 2007, I don't know if Etsy was even around, but I was like, I will just make PDFs and then I will sell the PDF online. Cause I was like, if I'm going to have e-commerce, I don't want to deal with shipping out of Germany. Like, how's that going to work? I want everything in English. Like I wouldn't even try to do it in German. I did later, which was- That is brilliant. I, I know. I thought so too. I, and I was selling these, like at that time at Yahoo, you could make an online, it was so janky. Uh, but I figured it out and I was selling these PDFs for like $1 and I was like, just a hundred thousand downloads a year. <laughs> I'll be rich. Uh, and then I like moved on to some different platforms. There's a whole song about that, but basically it was a different digital landscape. I made a lot of mistakes, but I actually did learn a lot with that business and I eventually had a Shopify platform. I got a lot of notoriety and I was making some income, but I really wasn't like, I didn't really understand like, okay, just cause you're a designer, like running your own online business is a whole other animal. And you have to think about things like profitability. And I was still freelancing at agencies through my network. And so it was a big learning experience, but ultimately it did not work out. And I was like trying to have a baby, like in my early forties at the same time. And so that that's sort of like the starting the business is a blooming where you're planted, but also kind of a false start. <laughs> but yeah, I think the blooming where you're planting was just, planted was just like, I'm going to buy an apartment. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make it work somehow. Okay. So another phrase that I jotted down was late blooming. I'm mm -hmm. very excited to talk about late blooming. I suspect based on nothing scientific, only just talking to yeah. people on a podcast for a couple of years, but I suspect a lot of us expats are in some way, shape or form late bloomers because, yeah. you know, at some point in our lives, we just completely like threw the whole thing away and started it over somewhere else or for some people multiple times. Um, and that, you know, costs many things, but it costs time above all else. Um so this is my theory. I want to see if it's true. <laughs> and um, partially that includes putting it out there in, in this episode and, and wondering if, if people want to let me know if, if that rings true for them. Um, and then I want to also just hear for you as just one of, of many experts, how did late blooming become a, a word that you think of when you think about your expat journey? Well, I think you're 100% right. There's like a time 
time expense with being, whether you come here voluntarily or, or your come situation requires it. Like, even if I know people now that are, you know, came here with a partner, then had a baby and, but then they're like, kind of just their careers delayed, but they feel hampered by being here. And then it does add time for sure. Um, and for me, I think that time was, I mean, there's no control group. That's what one, one of the things my husband said to me when we first met. There's, you don't know what would have happened otherwise. Right. So I feel like I would have quit that job much earlier had I been in the States. But because it provided so much stability and infrastructure, I just stuck it out. And I don't know what my life would have looked like otherwise. So I got that job in my late 20s and I quit it in my late 30s. And I met my husband when I was 34 and got, I think we got married when I was 37, which is late. It didn't feel late to me at the time because I just, I think also it's my, I remember this is still when I was in the Bay Area in San Francisco. We were at a party and my best friend said to me, we were hanging out with some people I didn't know. And this woman was married to some guy who we both concluded was a doofus. And she <laughs> said, you know, she just married him because she turned 30. And I was like, we're supposed to be married at 30? Like, I did not. I had Nobody gave me the memo. And I was like, what? Like, what? I always kind of feel like I'm suddenly looking up and there's this relay race that I didn't realize I was even it, supposed to be in it. So, uh, so, you know, I think when I was kind of in my mid thirties, I started doing a little bit of math and be like, Ooh, you know, if you do want to have kids, which was always, I always was sort of ambivalent about, you sort of realized like, I kind of got to get things in gear here, but yeah. So I got married at the tender age of 37 and we still weren't sure about having kids. And so, yeah, I was just like trying to start a new business and a second career act and thinking about kids. And I feel like most people would have done that if not 10, then five years earlier than I was doing it. And I did end up having a baby and I was 44, which is incredibly wow. late. And that was quite an odyssey, another podcast. <laughs> um, I try not to think this way too much, but I sort of, I just feel like I'm on a 10 year delay. That's mm. all. But when I look back the reason I left was because like, if I stay here, presumably I'll meet some guy, I'll settle down. I will have kids. They'll go to like, my life will just progress hitting all these miles. Maybe it wouldn't, maybe I'd have been single, who knows, but it was just like, my life will get set in a groove and that'll be it. And I will have never gone on a different path. And that may have been fine, but that at the time it didn't feel fine, but there is, I don't want to call it a penalty, but I think that it does mean there's, there, there's a potential for a delay. On my more, you know, optimistic and mentally healthy days, I'm like, it's it's a bonus, right? Like instead of yeah. like a 10-year delay or a ten, being behind by 10 years, it's like yeah. you got a bonus 10 years of life and experience and exploration and experimentation, which is all true, I think. But also, I mean, but also it does have a cost, you know, like for instance, yeah. if you talk about late blooming with a career and let's say someone yeah. is figuring out location and and meaning of life and partnership <laughs> kids or not whatever and they put career lower on the priority list and end up starting that later and maybe don't have a retirement fund set up until right. later like it's sure bonus life experiences but also then you're like well shoot I don't I don't have that money that I could have should have 
would have had, you know, and same with um, the question of, you know, having kids or not, like that also has, Mm -hmm. it's not an unlimited resource necessarily it, it yeah more complicated yeah. topic but like yeah it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um like there are these certain like uh just factual like facts you can't get around of like the time the bonus time quote unquote also mm-hmm. has a cost of some sort yeah you're right I mean I think yeah we ha- I gotta find some new terms around it rather than delay or penalty like 10 years of depth <laughs> uh and richness that but and the other Good thing that I think comes out of it to the points you're just making is it forces you to become much more intentional about your life. Like I bought that apartment because I, you know, I, when I started, I, you know, I had a pretty good salary for the first time in my life. And, you know, living in Germany, I got like really more conscious about managing money. And I started thinking like, okay, there's, they don't have 401ks here. What if I stay here? Da, 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 da. And that's when I got the idea to buy a little investment property. Um, and I knew that I had to do it before I quit a job because I'd never get a loan in Germany as a freelancer. And ju- I just started making decisions thinking about, I just, I was forced to think about those things. Like, would I go back or would I stay? And I think it's much easier to kind of stay on autopilot about the trajectory of your life. Living abroad for sure forces you to, you're constantly thinking about the future. For me, at least, when I moved abroad, it, it it just changed my thoughts so, so substantially that it's like stuff that I'd already decided in the past, just at some point I realized was no longer true. And and then I had to like reevaluate all the stuff based on this new reality that I was in. And so that also then cost more time and, and mental strain <laughs> and all like, that like, stuff. Like what wasn't true? Probably, yeah, probably the biggest, easiest example in, in my life is like having a kid, having kids, having a family. Like if you'd asked mm-hmm. me five years ago, I'd been like, yeah, of course I want kids. I want a family. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was something that I decided based on, or I don't even know if I decided it. I just thought it, felt it, whatever, based on, I don't know, feelings and thoughts and, and, and whatever. I was just going with the flow, life in the US, becoming an adult for the first time, whatever, yeah. whatever. And was like, yeah, and then that's going to be a part of my life one day. And now I'm five years into living abroad and just looking around at my life and like, what do I want? What choices am I making right now that are going to impact my future? And none of them are ones that are based around the goal of a family or having kids. And now I actually have no idea if I want that or not. <laughs> because in some way, of course, like, yeah, in some way I do want it. But I, but the facts of my life are so completely different than they were when I built up that answer in the past that, I mean, I still don't have an answer one way or another, but it's in question now in a way it never was in question before. Um, so that's one thing, for instance, where it's like, okay, well, this, because I'm I'm loving traveling and, and loving having new challenges in my life every couple of years and focusing on all of these other other things. And I want to keep focusing on them. And I'm entering my 30s. It's it's not as much of a given. And and that means I have to reconsider everything now. <laughs> Does that make yes. sense? Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of it. Once you kind of step step off of that path or the groove that you would have been in, stayed in your home country, you, it opens up kind of broader thinking about everything. It's like these so, sort of socially sanctioned uh, life milestones. It's like, why are they there? And do you have to have them? And do I want them? Or did I just absorb that by osmosis? And it's not really something I want. 
And again, there's freedom in that, but I also find it disorienting. Like in some ways it would be easier if you just, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm not really questioning it. And I don't have to like make a, you know, intrinsically motivated decision about it. It's just what I'm going to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then with kids, it's like, okay, well, like if I was living in my home country and uh, my family was a short flight away or a drive away, or Mm -hmm. even in the same town, that's a very different reality of having a family and raising kids. If, if mm-hmm. family support grandparents are in the area versus I, if I'm doing it abroad, then I'm doing it, I mean, not entirely alone, but without a lot mm-hmm. of that kind of support. And it means I somehow have to fund visits to my home country. Right. Like, you know, back in the day, I was saying I want four kids. I'm a librarian. <laughs> I, can't fund, I can't fund flights for four kids once a year. <laughs> like, what? what? <laughs> like, that's completely ridiculous at this point. Um, so, yeah, it just changes. Like, do I want to do I want to figure out like it's still possible to have four kids and live abroad? Totally possible. But for me, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that you're a librarian because one of my things I always say is that in a parallel universe, I'm a happily single child free librarian. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an introvert. I mean, I'm, ch- I'm chatty and I like meet up, but I need to like, you know, have to, my own time, me time to re-energize. Um, okay. The last thing I have jotted down is inflection point. What is your inflection point? <laughs> that is when I will have lived here in Germany as long as I have lived in the States, which would be, I think it'll be in like 2027, 2028, something like that. It's coming. <laughs> and that is very strange because I still feel very very American. I do incidentally want to get a German, like have dual citizenship. Um, I would like to have German citizenship soon, but I can't imagine giving up my American citizenship metaphorically or literally. And I, you know, I'm very into politics and current events and I get worked up by all the stuff that goes on in the States, even though I've been here forever. And I'm embarrassed to say like, if it wasn't for Deutsche Welle English and uh, the local and other things, like I wouldn't be that up to speed on like what's going on in Germany. I mean, I know the the big stuff, obviously, but I feel like I'm still so wrapped up in what's going on there and I'm not there and I'm not planning to go back there. So at some point you just don't really feel like you belong anywhere. Like you're not really you don't feel totally American anymore. You're not really ever going to be German. You're just like your own thing. And I don't say that as like a lament. It's just like home. And I use home for both places in the States. I, I do notice I'm just a lot more kind of in observer mode. And I owe my husband every time I have to like, he has to listen to me, like do all this processing, like, was it always this way? Or what do you think about that? Like, I'm just always in this state of mind of just like processing stuff. Here's, here's how I know what I, you know, what my nationality is. When Germany plays America in the World Cup, I have to see like, who am I going to root for? Am I still American? <laughs> and then I find myself rooting for America. I guess I'm still American. Another, I don't even know how I came up on this question. I was thought like, where do I want to be buried? It's a little morbid, oh. but it is an interesting question. Yeah. So I said, I, and I really thought about that for a while. And I told my husband, I said, I think I know what I want. Okay, cremate me and then dump half my ashes in the San Francisco Bay and the other half in the Izar, which is the river that runs to Munich. And of course, his answer was like, 
you're not allowed to do that in Germany. <laughs> That's a good way to put it into clarity. Like what, where do I want to be buried? I think I'm also wondering how much citizenship has to do with a lot of these feelings. Like, I wonder if you could vote in Germany, would you know a bit more about the politics or would you, would you follow that closer? Would you feel more similarly to the way you feel in the U.S.? Probably with each passing year, I do, I feel like I do get more informed about it. Politics and stuff is always boring here, which is good. It's good. <laughs> and uh, the, the things, you know, I did the wall. Have you ever done the wall about the voting yeah. thing? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Put, it's like a BuzzFeed quiz that tells you, yeah. you know, what, what, what city is your soul or whatever, except it's like way more serious. It's like, which of the many, many German parties fits most with your um, v- viewpoints? Based yeah, on the question there. yeah. And whenever my husband votes and shows me like a German ballot with all its ranked choice, it's like really complicated. So I'm like, oh, do I want to do yours? <laughs> you know, what would be really funny, though, is like, OK, you calculate your inflection point year and yeah. you start working towards dual citizenship. And then that is the year that you get it. Oh, Nicole, that is a great idea. That is a great idea. Okay. <laughs> that is a good, I will, I will, I'm going to get to work on that. I really like right that. Right after we get off this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. Well, speaking of, unfortunately, we'll be getting off the podcast soon because we have to wrap it up. I, I really just want to keep talking to you. I feel like, um, you know, you said you were joking, like your alternate reality is like a child-free librarian. <laughs> and the more I talk to you, I'm like, can you be my alternate reality? And we just like, we just keep in touch and see what our other lives would have looked like. For now, we'll round the corner and head to home with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. So it's a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So over your 20 plus years in Munich, I'm sure you've been to plenty of places across Germany that struck your interest, plenty of like local festivals and stuff. What is one place or event or festival or something that somehow is still on your to-do list and you haven't gotten around to it? Oh, this is a great one. My husband is from the Falls and uh, that's, it's 20 minutes from the French border. It's a wine region, sometimes called the Tuscany of Germany. But my brother-in-law said, no, no, no. Uh, Tuscany is the Falls of Italy. Um, <laughs> and every year they have, there's this uh, area called the Südliche Weinstraße, which is this long, you know, it's all vineyards and stuff and they close it off and you just go from vineyard to vineyard drinking wine. And that's where they drink the big, like, like they look like pint glasses, but they're vine shorlas and the shorla is like, you know, one ounce of water to 10 ounces of wine, <laughs> white wine. And you just go from winery to winery and it's, you know, on your bike, if you dare, or on foot. And every year it's in August. We're like, we're, I cannot believe we haven't done that yet, but that is on our to-do list. Do you want to hear something really funny? What? I was exactly there this weekend. No way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Neustadt an der Weinstraße. Wow. Yeah. He's out from Unweiler. Giant. Yep. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Yep. <laughs> so I was there at the wrong time of year, but it was still lovely. And the festivals there sound very, very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Question number two is almost the inverse of that. So what is one place or festival that you have been to that you think like, wow, that was amazing. And this should be on other people's to-do list. 
God, I feel like I'm going to do something really banal, like a Christmas market, but I mean, they are great. It's (laughs) one year. It was, there was a beer garden in Munich called the Chinese tower. It's pretty famous. It's like a pretty big tourist attraction, but also many locals. And it doesn't always snow in December, but one year I was there and it was just snowing and they have like this vintage carousel and all the, and it was just snow and it was, you drink the glue vine and they're just great. All right. And final question. What is your current of the moment favorite German word? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give you my all time one, which is Bescheuert. <laughs> because it's uh I don't, that which means like are you are you dumb are you crazy <laughs> uh and it just uh it sounds so so many consonants so hard and it just fits for what it is <laughs> I love to ask this question of people who have been in the language longer because I feel like that's something that in you know the first couple of years of learning a language every week you have a new one right and then at some mm-hmm. point you get so comfortable in the language you don't even hear favorite words anymore you're just you're just speaking you know but I feel like at least for me there's still always like one or two that just jump out where I'm like "Mm, that's a good one I just like that word so much (laughs) Eleanor where can people find you so people can find me at my website which is eleanormeyerhofer.com e-l-e-a-n-o-r-m-a-y-r-h-o-f-e-r and I'm also (laughs) on Instagram so at same name Eleanor Meyerhofer and for business stuff, I'm on dusty old LinkedIn a lot. So I'll find you there. <laughs> I'm impressed you got your whole uh, name slash website out in one breath. Well done. <laughs> yeah, <thanks. laughs> I will link to all of that in the show notes, as well as the blog post that I was mentioning where you lay out your whole moving abroad story. Even if you heard it today in the episode, I would recommend reading it because I just think you're a very enjoyable person. I liked reading your writing. I like hearing you talk. And yeah, I'm very glad that you came on the show today. Thank you very much. Likewise, (laughs) I've been enjoying catching up on all the podcast episodes. So the feeling's mutual. Thanks one more time to Eleanor for coming onto the show. Links to her website, LinkedIn, and Instagram are in the show notes, as well as the blog post that inspired our conversation. I've also linked to my Instagram at the expatcast and my website at theexpatcast.com. While you're on your phone, if you can go ahead and leave me a review, that would be really, really wonderful. I've got links to how to do that in the show notes as well on Apple Podcasts or on other platforms if you're not an Apple user. As always, I want to thank Amy Lungi Art for the logo and Sidehug for the theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side. On Thursday, I'll be back in your feed with an episode that asks the question, would you rather have avocado toast that's a really good avocado on a mediocre bread or a mediocre avocado on a really good bread? (laughs) That and more coming to you on Thursday. Until then, have a wonderful week. Bis dann. Tschüss.